Please join me in John chapter 17 as we return to the upper room with Jesus. Now in chapter 17 in what we call the high priestly prayer of Jesus. So back months ago, my original plan instead of an upper room series was to do a series through the high priestly prayer of Jesus. And so when I began the study for John 17, I thought, well, let's, let's get our context. Let me go back and see where we are. And so I started in John 13 to see, okay, we're in the upper room. And I started reading that and rereading that. I thought, okay, I cannot skip all that. I can't just jump to the high priestly prayer. And so that's why these months we've been enjoying being with Jesus there in the upper room. That night of his arrest, the night before his crucifixion, all these rich things that Jesus has been talking about in this upper room. Today, Jesus is going to pray. And in John 17, he's going to start talking about his glory. And so that's where we're going in just a moment. On our way there, let me just say this to us. Beware of fads that sweep through American Christianity. You know, from time to time, some fad will sweep through. You've seen them come and go, no doubt. Maybe there's a cool hipster pastor. He comes on the scene. Everybody's really interested in him. And then we move on to the next cool thing. Maybe it's some great conference. Maybe it's a new author on the scene. And we can do that. And, and sadly, we can lose Jesus in some of that if we're not careful. One fad that came through American Christianity in the early 2000s was the book, The Prayer of Jabez. Now, there's nothing wrong with the actual prayer of Jabez. It's a prayer recorded in 1 Chronicles, and maybe one day I'll be preaching through Chronicles, and we, we may look at that. It's a great prayer that's recorded, a very small prayer there, and some good principles there for us. But there was a book written that sold 9 million copies, and, and I think that prayer of Jabez, that small little prayer, a biblical prayer, I think maybe too much was made of it. I knew, I knew there was some trouble when they were making coffee mugs about it and uh, t-shirts and all that thing. I, I don't know about that. I think they might've overblown, especially some of the promises. If you pray this prayer for 30 days, you're gonna see God unleash all these great things in your life. Maybe overblowing a fine biblical prayer of Jabez. Today, <clears throat> we're not in that, though that would be fine, but we are in a prayer of Jesus. In fact, this is the true Lord's Prayer as we look at it. There is what we call the Lord's Prayer, really a model prayer that we see there in the Sermon on the Mount. But here in the upper room, we have Jesus praying. It's the longest prayer we're told recorded in the Bible, and it's the Son praying to the Father. And so let's dive in together this. All this talk that Jesus had to them, hey, you ought to pray to the Father. Now he does it. Let's look at it. John 17, 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you've given him. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they've kept your word. Now they know that everything that you've given me is from you, and I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them. And they've come to know in truth that I came from you. And they've believed that you sent me. 
These are amazing words that aren't we glad the Holy Spirit inspired that we have in the Bible for ourselves. We get to listen in with those first disciples as Jesus prays to the Father in heaven. And I want you to hear with me the intimacy that exists between the Father and the Son. But also hear with me the plan of God being discussed here between the Son and the Father. Notice Jesus begins this prayer to the Father talking about how the hour has come. Jesus lived his entire life with a keen awareness of the plan of God and of the timing. There were times earlier in his walk on earth and his ministries that the time hasn't come yet. This is not the hour and nobody really could touch him. But now the hour has come and everything that he came to earth to do and accomplishing our salvation now is the time. So much so is Jesus aware of that, that when he's hanging on the cross the very next morning after this, he's able to say it is finished. So Jesus brings up the plan and he mentions the hour. But now see with me what he talks about next. And in seeing Jesus's prayer, we're going to see this. See the shared glory of the father and the son. See the shared glory of the Father and the Son. That takes us back to verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Now here it is. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Now look back to verse 4. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me. In your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So glory, a lot of it being talked about here. It's one of the major themes of the Bible. That word glory is used in the New Testament alone 213 times. Here in John's gospel, that word glory is used 46 times. And right here in the upper rim discourse, our Savior used the words glory 16 times. Now, he spoke about this connection between the hour coming and glory already as they came into Jerusalem and what we call the triumphal entry. Notice what Jesus said. This is John 12, 23. And Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. John 12, 27. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice from heaven said, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. So all this talk about glory and we ask the question, well, what is glory? Well, on the one hand, glory is an attribute of God. In the old covenant, the Hebrew word there carried the idea of weight, something substantial. We can talk about a weight of God's glory. He has substance. He has got weight, weightiness to him. You know, through the years, I've helped a lot of people move and a lot of people have helped me move through the years. And I can say this, I like moving cheap furniture rather than good furniture. I've learned that good furniture is heavy and it hurts and you need a lot of people. Cheap furniture, like, yeah, let me move a cheap couch with some people. And I've had cheap couches before. I like that. So when we come to God though, he's not cheap. He's not a lightweight. He is glorious. He is weighty. In fact, we love that word. We can speak of God. Oh, he is glorious. And so God displays his glory, which means he displays his, his attributes in a way that we get to see them. That's God being glorified. In fact, we see it oftentimes in the scripture as a dazzling brilliance, a radiance, a beauty. Do you remember reading that occasion where Moses, he wanted to see God. Of course, he's not allowed to see God and live. That's how infinitely holy God is. You can't see him. 
and live. And so he allowed Moses to see his glory. But so amazing was that encounter. Do you remember this? Moses came away from that encounter, encounter of seeing the glory of God. His own face was shining. So much so it scared the people. He had to wear a veil over his face. This was such the glory of God that he had just encountered. So we can say this about God. Glory is something that God is. He is glorious. But glory is also something that is due to our God. We can even speak of a verb here to, to glorify him, to give him glory. So this is the role of creations, creatures like us. This is what we are to give to God. Now, when we give God glory, it doesn't mean we make him more glorious. He already is perfect in all of his attributes. But this is a recognition on our part. Oh, there's nobody like him. We just sang about nobody can compare with him. I was loving that. That's exactly what this is about. I'm glorifying him. Nobody's like him. I'm just now glorifying him. I'm exclaiming that truth. Remember, the angels did this on that hillside outside of Bethlehem, that night of the incarnation. We, we read this. The angel said, glory to God in the highest. So the prayer of Jesus here is very revealing. He, we all know that all glory is due to God, but notice how comfortably Jesus talks about his own glory here. Verse one again, glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Or verse four again, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So here's Jesus bringing up glory in this high priestly prayer. And Lord, I, I'm, I've been glorifying you, Father, as you've been glorifying me. Let's do that again. And I'm looking forward to resuming the glory that I had with you from all eternity past. So here is a reminder to us of the deity of Christ, meaning that Jesus is indeed God, the second person of the Trinity. Notice how comfortably Jesus speaks of his pre-existence. So you do know that about Jesus, right? He is not a creation of God. There was never a time when Jesus, God the Son, did not exist. Now, of course, he took on the name Jesus in the incarnation, in the, in the womb of Mary. We know, okay, this is Jesus. He took on humanity in the womb of Mary and lived, lived as a man, but God and man. But he has always existed, the second person of the Trinity. As long as there's been the Father, there has been the Son, there has been the Holy Spirit, our triune God always existing here. And Jesus here speaks to the Father about their shared glory here. And this is exactly how the beginning of the gospel of John starts. Remember chapter one, verse one, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Then down to verse 14 of John one, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen, here it is, his glory. Glory is of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. It's the same way the book of Hebrews begins. Hebrews 1, 3, speaking of Jesus, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So in Jesus becoming one of us, he laid aside his glory, still God in flesh, but lays aside his glory to become one of us. This is how Paul wrote about it in Philippians 2. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Jesus shares in the Father's glory, but he temporarily laid it aside, emptying himself, humbling himself to accomplish our salvation on a cross. So we see him in his earthly ministry in submission to the Father. Some people say, well, isn't, doesn't that show that he's inferior to the Father? No. No, his submission to the Father during his earthly ministry is functional, not essential. That's how some of the scholars say it. It's not, it's not essential. Not, in other words, he doesn't have a, a lesser essence. He shares the same essence with the Father, but functionally he is in submission to the Father. But he will take back his glory, and that's what he's praying about here. At the resurrection, the ascension, and where is he now? He is at the right hand of the Father in glory. Now, Jesus in his earthly ministry gave them glimpses of this glory. So I would think about this. Every time Jesus did a miracle of healing, did he not display his glory showing this is the power inherent in me. Now I'm going to disclose it to you as I heal these diseases. Every time Jesus took up authority over the demonic and cast these demons out, he was showing you his glory. But two notable occasions on top of those notable ones. How about this? The raising of Lazarus to life. Jesus connected that miracle to his glory. How about this? John eleven four. When Jesus heard about it, meaning Lazarus's illness, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. Or John eleven forty. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you if you believed you would see the glory of God? And he raised Lazarus, who had been dead, four days to life. So what a great display of the power of God, even the tenderness and love of God there in the raising of Lazarus. Jesus is glorified in that miracle, as is God the Father. Here's another notable occasion when the disciples, even before resurrection, saw his glory. It's in the transfiguration of Jesus. Remember that Jesus took Peter, James, and John up on a mountain and there Jesus, we're told, transfigured before them. Here's how Jesus was described. And he was transfigured before them and his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to him Moses, Elijah. And, and so we have Peter then, if you know the story, he says something really inappropriate there. Hey, should I build shelters for, for you, Jesus, and, and Moses and Elijah? It was the wrong thing to say. Jesus stands alone, and that's what God said from heaven. This is my beloved son with whom I am pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. We're just talking about Jesus shares in the glory of the Father. But here's what I want to ask you. Do you know that this morning? Do you have a biblical understanding of this Jesus who shares glory with the Father? You know, there are many erroneous views of Jesus out in the culture around you. Just make sure you haven't brought that into your own thinking. Some people think about Jesus. He's just a man who lived. He, he just got famous. A lot of people just started following him. He's just a, just a man of history. That's who he was. Some people say, well, he was a great teacher. He indeed was a great teacher, but he's so much more than that. He is God in the flesh. He is sharing in the Father's glory. Some say, well, he was a prophet, so much more than a prophet. Verse 1 again, what prophet speaks like this? Glorify your son 
that the Son may glorify you. What prophet says, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. And so right now we know where is Jesus? He is glorified and we're awaiting his glorious return. John, the same John who wrote these things had that vision of Jesus in heaven in Revelation 1. Listen to how Jesus in his glory is described. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire and his feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars and from his mouth came a sharp, two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. Oh, he shares the Father's glory. So Jesus is to be believed. Jesus is to, is to be followed. He is to be praised. He is one with the Father and the Spirit in glory. So again, here's a question. Is your life aimed at the glory of God? Or are you giving the glory that's due God to someone or something else. Many people lose focus, even religious people. The Pharisees did this. Jesus confronted them in John 5, 44. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek glory that comes from the only God? Or John 12, 43, for they loved the glory that came from man more than the glory that comes from God. Or people give glory and praise and worship to objects. Romans 1.22, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And God makes very clear in his word that he will not share his glory with anyone else. Isaiah 42.8, I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory, I give to no other nor my praise to carved idols. What are you giving glory to if it's not God himself? So we still have more to talk about here with glory. But on Friday, Friday morning, when I finished up the study of this and the sermon was ready, I pushed print and the sermon then went to the printer in the workroom. And instead of jumping up and going to get it, my back was kind of sore. I thought, I'm just going to sit here just a minute before I jump up and go down there. And I thought, I'll just check the ESPN app. Let's check what's happening in the world of sports here for just a moment. And I saw the story where LeBron James had recently become the all-time leading scorer in the NBA. That's kind of a big deal, right? He surpassed Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I was interested in that. And they, they had there, there was like a one-minute video. I could see the moment when it happened. So catch the scene here. My mind is so full of the glory of God. There's nobody like him. He's awesome. And I clicked this video, and it looked ridiculous. There's LeBron James, shoots a basket. This arena erupts. And then he goes running down the court with two hands in the air. Looked ridiculous in light of the glory of God. In fact, you think about it. I mean, nothing wrong with that. If I were to meet LeBron James, I'd say, man, that's really great. Congratulations. It's a big deal. I'll be watching the Super Bowl tonight. I'm not anti-sports. I was on the ESPN app. I'm just saying, compared to the glory of God, all these achievements seem like nothing. The crowd looked pitiful. Like, this is all misdirected. And him pumping his fist, this just looks silly. Why would you do that? But listen, we're just as silly. Anything we glorify other than Jesus we're just as ridiculous. The things we want people to notice about us, people to affirm about us, and we're seeking some glory for ourselves, it's really ridiculous, isn't it? In fact, we're gonna see it more clearly, you know, hopefully see it more clearly just like me studying the glory of God here today. But think about it, 100 years from now, all the things we were seeking 
we're going to say that was, that was ridiculous if it wasn't seeking the glory of God. Certainly a thousand years from now, I mean, again, LeBron James' great accomplishment, who cares in a thousand years? In 10 million years, will anybody even think that was a big deal? The people who like clap for that, oh, I, 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 I should have been, that should have been for Jesus. And so where are we giving our glory? So we've been talking about the shared glory of the Father and the Son to recapture just who is this amazing Savior that we get to know. So we're seeing his glory. We especially think about his resurrection. We see his glory quite easily. His ascension to heaven. We anticipate this glorious return. All we see is glory. But would you also pause with me before we leave this topic? Would you see he's also glorified in the cross? He's glorified in the suffering that brought our salvation. Verse two again. Since you've given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you've given him. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. God is greatly glorified in the gospel, isn't he? Now, whenever we're sharing the gospel and whenever we're just enjoying the gospel in our own lives, we really do begin with the holiness of God, don't we? I mean, here we're talking about his glory, his infinite holiness. There's nobody like him. We enjoy that truth, but it begins with us realizing, well, that's a problem for me that he's so holy. Because what's the scripture say about us? Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fall short of what? Of the glory of God. So I'm enamored with his glory, but I fall short of his glory. I can't have a relationship. So first of all, he's praised even in the gospel. We realize he's so far beyond us. We're not good enough to be with him. Praise him. He's glorious because no one is like him. But his glory continues as we think not just about his unapproachable holiness, but his great love for us his great mercy and grace, that he would not leave us in our sin and the judgment we all deserve. But instead of that, he came for us, that if we would believe in his son, we could be forgiven. Listen, even adopted into his family, isn't he glorified? There's nobody like him who loves like God loves. And so he's glorified in the gospel, even in the cross. And some would say, especially in the cross. Listen to what one scholar said so beautifully. He said, if Jesus had stopped short of the cross, that would have proved there is a degree of love to which God is not prepared to go for us. The cross proves there's no limit to God's love. We would not have known this without the cross. God who created the universe saw his son hanging on the tree of Golgotha, covered with the spittle of those he came to save, gasping his final breaths while the sins of the world were showered on his pure heart. This is Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The cross was the only way we could see the infinite depths of God's love for us. Our Savior had come to glorify the Father by showing what he's like. And the cross would show that as nothing else could. The deeper our contemplation of the tragedy of the cross, the deeper our understanding of God, and the more profound our glorification of him. So you think about that cross, that that was necessary because a holy God could not just overlook sin, but there's Jesus taking our sin for us so that we can be reconciled to God. All this, the plan of God, we see that so clearly in the cross. So behold his great glory in accomplishing our salvation. One more element to add to this and that God promises if our faith is in him, we get to share in his glory. We've already said we begin in this relationship with God as those who fall short of his glory. 
But trusting in Jesus, having our sins removed, we're destined for something better than that. Romans 8, 17. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. That's that great truth that we're awaiting is glorification. Already saved right now if your faith is in Jesus, but it's going to get better than even this. Right now we are in these bodies that hurt, that let us down. Right now we still daily battle this battle with temptation and sin, but there's coming a time when Jesus takes us home to be with him or certainly after his return, we will be glorified. At the return of Christ, even these bodies will be raised glorified. It's going to be wonderful. Isn't it wonderful of God that he wants to take us from this and take us somewhere wonderful where we'll be glorified with him. But listen, but we don't become gods. Now I say that because just down the street, a temple is going up, a Mormon temple. And I want to take the occasion just to remind you that has nothing to do with Christianity. The church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is not another denomination. Because what will be taught there and in the churches around and the things that will be performed there, the weddings and the baptisms for the dead and things that will go on there, have nothing to do with biblical Christianity. It is heresy after heresy. And one of the prominent heresies of Mormonism is that you, if you live a good Mormon life according to their laws, you can become a god. You'll be exalted to be a God of your own planet. Their claim is that God the Father was once a man like us, had his own planet. He was exalted to be God, and you can have the same thing happen to you. That's not Christianity. That's not the same thing as glorification that we're promised here, that we'll be with him and, and all our sin removed and a, a new body and all that. Forever a child of God, beloved in his home. So just don't be deceived. Now, we love our neighbors. We'll be sharing the good news when Mormons come to your door, which I got to think the bicycles will be rolling soon as that, uh, as that gets ready to open up. But, but don't be deceived. You, you can go to your door and love them enough to tell them the truth. You be kind about it. But listen, hey, I've got good news for you. You can have your sins forgiven. They're going to say to you, oh, we believe the same thing. They don't believe the same thing or they wouldn't be at your door. That's not truthful. But you go to the scriptures and we've, we've equipped you. It's on our website. There's a one pager just to remind you of some of the things that you can use as a talking point out of love to people who've been sorely misled. But don't be deceived here. Well, we've been talking about the glory of the father and the son. He's glorified in his exaltation. but He's glorified even in his crucifixion. But see this also in the gospel. He is glorified in his choosing you for salvation. Verse 2 and verse 6. Very interesting. Verse 2. Jesus praying, you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you've given him. Verse six, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me and they have kept your word. A lot of talk about giving here in this prayer, the father, son, and the spirit. They're giving each other the glory that they're due. But here, Jesus speaks of the Father giving people to him who will believe. So how is it that today you are a believer in Jesus Christ? Well, you received the word of God when you heard it. Eventually, you received that word and you believed in Christ. But here Jesus seems to indicate that actually you did that because the Father gave you to him that you would do that. It's a glorious truth. It's the same thing that Jesus taught in John 6, 44. 
Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. So who believed? The people whom you gave me out of the world. So God so loved the world, he offered the Savior to the world. But who's believing? Those that the Father gave to Jesus. Here's another reminder that not everybody is saved. We go share the gospel with everybody, making the appeal that they be reconciled with God, but not everybody ultimately is saved. We, this past week, had the privilege of partnering with some IMB missionaries in training, and, and they were in our area sharing, and, and one of them came upon a, a couple of people walking, and, and one of them just claimed that, well, I believe that everybody eventually ends up in heaven. But that's not true. Jesus said that God gave him people out of the world. Not everybody in the world is saved. They can be if they trust in Jesus, but not everybody is saved. So here, God acted first, calling people to salvation. So we can see the triune God, the Trinity, involved in salvation, calling you to Christ, convicting you of sin, and converting you. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one in essence and one in purpose. Their shared glory and your salvation to his glory. So here's again the question as we apply this to ourselves. Is your life giving him glory? Here's another way of asking it. Who is the hero in your life story? Is your life about pointing to yourself or to somebody else? Or are you rightly pointing to the glory of God? I was thinking about it this week and I thought it's a lot like a spotlight. What's our orientation to a spotlight? So if you've ever gone to a theatrical uh, occasion, some kind of performance, a play, they'll have spotlights. And if the room's really dark, you'll see that spotlight there moving along with that main character. And so I think about that. That's, that's a bit like glorifying. So, so our role in life should be to be behind the spotlight, shining on Christ alone that he would receive all the glory. But we could be tempted to step in front of the spotlight. Hey, I want people to notice me. I want people to think I'm cool, think I'm smart, and that would be the wrong place. All of our life should be focused on being behind the spotlight. Every breath, everything we do, Lord, I want you alone to receive glory. That's the mission of my life that you would be glorified. I mentioned a moment ago some of these IMBers in training that we went and shared around the area with. And one of the things we did was we would go to people who recently moved to the community. And so Tommy gets a list every week or so uh, of who just moved to our area. And you would think nobody's moving to the area with the market like it is, but people are moving, especially into apartments, coming and going. And so we get a pretty good list of people who are new to the area. And one of the things we do for those personal visits at the door is uh, we have these Gelati Celesti ice cream gift cards. And so we're able to go to a door and rather than like soliciting, we can go to that door and say, hey, we're from Staples Mill Road Baptist Church. We want to welcome you to the community. And here's a $10 gift card to Gelati Celesti. Listen to this next line. The best ice cream in town, as we say. What are we doing in that moment? Well, first of all, we're making this interaction a little more comfortable. We're giving them a gift here, but we're also bragging on an ice cream place. And we can debate whether it's the best in town or not. It's pretty good. It's up there. But what are we? we're bragging on it. And it's very natural because we're saying, and we really want you to share in it with us. We're even giving you some money to go do it. And, uh, and we want you to enjoy it. But what we're really offering is something else. We, we are glorifying Christ. That's our mission in life is more than just 10 minutes of ice cream enjoyment. We want to point people like, you want to know what's the really best in all of life is Jesus Christ. He deserves all glory. That's our whole life. I'm just telling you he's the best and I want you to enjoy him with me. And that's why I'm here talking to you about this amazing savior who loves you as much as he loved me. 
Matthew 5, 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven. Final questions now. Do you know him? Do you know Jesus? This glorious one, do you know him? You can know him personally. You can have eternal life. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. If you want eternal life, Jesus said it's in him. You can know God by knowing him. You need to trust in Jesus. I, I hope today you'll ask Jesus to save you. Give him your life today. How else can you bring him glory? Glorify him by saying, I need you to be my savior. And now trust him and begin to follow him. You also glorify him by giving him praise, giving him praise and worship. And so you're to be commended today. You got up on this rainy February morning to come and worship. You're giving him glory. He's do this and make this a rhythm of your life every week, but every day, give him glory. Join the angels in saying glory to God in the highest. But we also glorify him in telling others about him. Psalm 96.3, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. Are you telling others about Jesus? Chuck Lawless recently wrote this. We don't tell others about Jesus because we've lost our wonder over him. Isn't that true? What we're awed by, we talk about. And so I hope today this text here, just getting started in this high priestly prayer of Jesus, you've had a chance along with me to see again the glory of God, the glory of our Savior, to have that stirred up. Let's keep him in the forefront of our minds that we might be more quick to glorify him, even in the telling others about his great love and mercy.